Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to episode 21 of This Is Our Effing Podcast, a Red Talk with your co hosts, Sean McAdam and Steve Lyons. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. And it is officially. Down the stretch they come, Steve, with less than two weeks to go in the regular season. The Red Sox sitting in a good, if not commanding lead in terms of the wild card race with uh, less than a dozen games left in the schedule and the season. Um, Closing out their first homestand, last homestand of the year and getting ready to go on the road and finish up in Baltimore and Washington. And we'll get to that in a minute. But as they head into the final two series at Fenway this season, the Red Sox have their longest winning streak since the end of June and July, when I think they won seven or eight in a row. They currently have five straight wins. And it seems like, given the calendar, given how tight the wild card race is, the Red Sox may well be peaking at just about the perfect time right now. Yeah, you know, and it's going to be interesting to see. Obviously, the schedule favors the Red Sox. I mean, they just finished up with an abysmal Baltimore team, and they beat them up like they should. Then they get the Mets, they get Baltimore again, and then they have to finish up with the Nats. All bad teams. Um, But the the race is still pretty close when you look at, you know, New York just two games behind, Toronto a game and a half. Um, You know, anything can happen in those last 12 days, but – I think you're right. I mean, if, if this hasn't been the, this, one of the streakiest teams we've seen in the longest time, you know, I don't know what is. You know, you, you look at them, you, you start to think that they might be fading a little bit. Their pitching doesn't look that great. Uh, their bullpen didn't look that great. And then you turn around and two weeks later, you look up and their pitching starters ERA is tremendous. Their, their bullpen has been ridiculously good. They're swinging the bats. And of course, as you said, They've got the best record as far as the wildcard teams. You know, Oakland and Seattle, they're fading away. It's a three-team race here between Boston, Toronto, and New York. Yeah, it would seem so. I think it, um, although mathematically, as you noted, both the Mariners and A's are still in this, uh, but they're currently playing one another, which means one of those teams has to lose every night. That's going to hurt one of them and likely push one of those two teams out of the race good by the time that series is over midweek. So it does seem like both wild cards are going to come out of the American league East. Um, and, you know, we were talking a little bit about how streaky the Red Sox have been for much of the year. I think that's true, but I think it's also certainly true of the Yankees, a team that, you know, had that famous 13 game winning streak uh, at the end of August into September and has since been well under 500 cents. Um, I think it's kind of the hallmark of some of these wildcard teams, which is why they're wildcard teams and not division leaders, is that for every nine out of 10 stretch they play, um, they're fully capable and have been capable of going two and eight over the next 10 games and balancing out whatever progress they've made I guess what I'm saying is um, maybe we shouldn't be surprised that teams that have some flaws are going to go through both hot and cold stretches over the course of the season. We've seen it certainly with the Red Sox, the way they came out of it. Well, look, let's go back to the first two weeks of the season where uh, that was 
fully on display right from opening day. They lose three games to Baltimore, and everyone in New England was, you know, heading for the Zaken Bridge and ready to jump off because of how the season was starting. And if they couldn't beat Baltimore at home just once, what did that mean for the rest of the year? And then once they got that out of their system, they quickly went on a nine-game winning streak and turned things around and got people on the bandwagon. So we, we've seen this exhibited literally from the first two weeks of the season. Yeah, and you know, you're talking about three months into the season, we were talking about this team basically being a surefire 100-win team over the course of the season. And, of course, that didn't happen since the All-Star break. They have not been uh, as consistent winners as they had been before the break so you're right i mean uh every team has their flaws and you got to catch them at the right time you know i think you said it right is this team peaking at the right time well they've won five in a row and they have some really lousy teams to finish up the season with they could come into the playoffs with a pretty good head of steam yeah and you know on paper you, you think that that um would bode well for October and whatever happens in the postseason. But I wonder if that's just kind of um, a, a myth that, that, that exists around the game, because I know we can all think back and look at teams uh, that played really well down the stretch in September to either secure a division title or to win one of the wild card spots and watch them, uh, you know, take off in October. Uh, I, I think that certainly applied to the 2007 Colorado Rockies who had to win something like, I don't know what it was, 20 out of their Nin last 19 20. out of 21 or something. Right, right. Uh, to, to even uh, get in as a wild card team and promptly won the wild card game, won the division series. Uh, and then uh, actually back then there was no wild card game. Uh, they may have played a play-in game, I think, against San Diego to, to determine the wild card, then won the division series, then won the uh, NLCS against St. Louis, and went on before running out of gas and getting swept by the Red Sox in the World Series. But I think there are also teams that, you know, have not played particularly well in the final couple of weeks, maybe didn't have a lot to play for, or maybe just barely got in despite not playing real well, and then we're able to turn it on. So I'm not sure that we can necessarily draw a correlation between how a team plays in September and what it's going to do in October. But it feels like you'd rather have uh, a, a team, you know, be firing on all cylinders in the closing weeks and see if that momentum does indeed translate to the postseason. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right about that. I mean, when you get into the playoffs and the, the next day shows up, you know, <laughs> you have no idea what's going to happen when you run out there. And on top of which, at that point in time, you're playing against other playoff teams. And we've talked about the flaws that each of those teams have. Um, but you got to try to make sure they don't show up in the postseason. And, you know, I'd be a lot more comfortable if my team was playing well against good competition heading in and I just mentioned the fact that you know this Red Sox team is going to finish up playing against you know for the most part some pretty poor baseball teams and then all of a sudden you're going to start seeing you know the cream of the crop and are you ready for that all of a sudden are you lulled into a false sense of security when you're crushing the ball against you know number five starters every night 
Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. I mean, of the last five series this team is going to play, only the Yankees who come in this weekend to Fenway for three games that uh, are, are going to have a lot to say about who gets in and how they're seeded. Um, but you referenced the Orioles being here over the weekend. The Red Sox swept them pretty easily, pretty handily. The Mets are in next, and while they're not a horrible team, a uh, couple games below 500, they, they're obviously flawed and more than a little dysfunctional. Some of the things have gone on uh, around that team all year. And then after the Yankees leave town, the Red Sox go on the road for the final two, and it's three more in Baltimore and three more against Washington. Now, at the beginning of the year, a three-game series against Washington to close out the season probably looked pretty imposing when you think about going in and facing Max Scherzer and Kyle Schwarber and Trey Turner and on and on. Problem is, none of those guys are are there anymore. And in fact, Kyle Schwarber is, of course, part of the Red Sox roster. Uh, the, the, The Nationals had a complete teardown at the at the deadline and in no way resembled the team that we saw back at the beginning of the year. They're playing out the string. They've got nothing to play for. Um, So that's not a very good team either. Um, That benefits the Red Sox down the stretch to fatten up against some teams that are pretty much done and have been mailing it in for a while. I I think another thing that helps the Red Sox is the number of off days in the schedule. Uh, They had, I think, four in the span of nine or ten days uh, pretty recently. Coming home from the West Coast, they had one. uh, Well, let's put it this way. They had a day off to reset after three straight series. And and that gives you a lot of, (coughs) excuse me, flexibility um, in terms of your pitching. And I I think uh, Alex Cora and Dave Bush have taken full advantage of that and moved a couple of starters into the bullpen because there are so many off days down the stretch that the Red Sox really don't need a five-man rotation. They can maximize the number of starts they get out of their two best starters in Chris Sale and Nathan Abaldi and move some back-end guys into the bullpen to provide some bulk innings. And that's worked out pretty well, even though we don't know right now the status of Garrett Whitlock, who had a pectoral strain over the weekend and had to leave them on Sunday against Baltimore. Um, you, you still have guys like Pavetta and uh, Tanner Houck, who instead of starting, thanks to the schedule, can help you in relief and give you additional depth behind your start. Yeah, and, you know, I love the guys they're doing it with, too. I mean, you could you can see the fact that Pavetta's thrown more innings, you know, this year than probably ever in his career. Certainly he's been hurt off and on over the last few seasons. Um, and it, it, it looked like it was starting to wear on him a little bit. So give him a blow, get him out into the bullpen. And with a guy like Hauk, who really his, his biggest problems – are not being able to get deeper into ball games because he throws too many pitches. So you can, you know, reset his own mindset coming out of the bullpen, knowing that he can just come in and, and, you know, tune it up for two or three innings max and go right at hitters, attack the strike zone, throw strikes and, and go after guys, knowing that you, you're not looking to get five out of them. And I think that's, that, that'll be a good change for both of those guys. Yeah, it, it does a couple of things. It, it, As I said earlier, it provides some quality innings from, say, the fifth through the seventh or eighth if your starter's only going five. Maybe you have Sale or Evaldi on the mound. You have a pretty healthy lead. 
You want to make sure those guys are preserved for the postseason. So no sense running them out there in the sixth inning when they can have a light night in 75 or 80 pitches. Uh, you can turn to, you know, Veta or Hauk to give you two, two and a third innings to get you to the back end guys. Uh, it keeps them sharp. And, and this is, of course, a strategy that Alex Cora used um, really masterfully in the 2018 postseason where he had anybody and everybody basically available on most nights. Uh, if, if you were a starter, you weren't throwing, you, you weren't throwing a bullpen in between. You were putting your cleats on and going out and being available for two or three outs in the eighth inning to give additional bullpen depth. And uh, it, it looks like he's using some of that. I mean, this is a little different because you're not having guys bounce back and forth between the rotation and bullpen. You're, you're pretty much consigning them to a relief role because the off days allow that. But, um, you know, the more the merrier out there in terms of dependable arms. And, and there's no question that he will employ that same strategy again this postseason. I mean, it worked well. You see almost every manager doing things like that now. I mean, obviously, uh, the games are so much more important. You can't afford to let one get away. You can't afford to be frivolous thinking, oh, we got this one in the bag. So, hey, we'll sit my guy down. No, you, you need to you know, put the, the pedal to the metal for the entire nine innings in, in those situations. And so you have to have all hands on deck. And it, it makes sense, especially because you don't generally need four or five starters when the playoff rolls around because of the off days, even in the playoffs. So, you, you know, you run your big guns out there and then everyone else is in the pen and ready to go. Less certain and less clear at this point of the year, 150 plus games in, um, while it's nice to have available multi-inning relievers and plenty of guys to turn to to take care of the sixth, seventh, and eighth inning, we come to the ninth inning where there is far less certainty uh, as it pertains to the Red Sox. Matt Barnes, as we know, uh, forfeited his closer's job uh, back in August when he was not performing well and then complicating things was a stint on the COVID IL list. He's now returning and has made a couple of appearances, but on a daily basis, it's still kind of uncertain who's going to get the final three outs. And I wonder, maybe you get through that against the likes of the Mets and the Nationals and the Orioles over the next 10 days and even the Yankees. But can you go into the postseason without a uh, without a real structured bullpen and a guy that you know, okay, Four, two, three outs to go. We're turning to fill in the blank. That's the guy we want. It seems right now the Red Sox are not positioned to answer that question. Is that an issue? It is an issue, but I think it will be resolved, you know, in these next whatever, 10, 12 games. Uh, and I think it's going to be Barnes. I think they're going to put him in the position to, you know, build up again. And, you know, he's the guy that you had been counting on. And I think that, you know, I, you know, if I'm Matt Barnes, I walk into the office and I say, I'm your guy, make sure that I'm in position to be ready to go when the playoffs start and give me the ball in the ninth inning. And, you know, I, he's the guy that was supposed to do the job. Uh, he faltered there a little bit and, you know, every pitcher can go through a time like that, but it's stuff wise. And uh, you know, as far as his ability to, you know, I think he really did a lot better job over the last 
season and a half of commanding his pitches better, uh, adding a pitch to his repertoire. You know, this is a guy who, to me, is the most devastating arm you have coming out of the pen. And for my money, he's the guy that you run out there. Yeah, I, I, look, there's no question that he has the stuff to be able to do the job. We saw that for a long stretch in the first half. He had a good enough first half season to be selected to the American League All-Star game and team. Um, but do you wonder that if, if there's enough time here to get him right over the last week and a half? Uh, you know, it, it's one thing to close out the Orioles, and that's the Nationals. And it's another thing to close out the Rays in a one-run game if the Red Sox advance to the division series. Um, I, I think you're absolutely correct that his stuff is better than any other option they have out there. But it's not always about stuff. It's about results. And, um, you know, certainly you'd like to see Barnes earn that job back here in the final week and a half and not have it be given to him just based on reputation or how well he pitched up through the end of June. Yeah, I, th I think they have to put him in position to make that determination. And, and you, so you have to put him in that role and give him the ball when they have a lead late in ball games here down the stretch and see how it works out. And, you know, if he spits the bit, then you go somewhere else. But I think what you should do is, uh, you know, hand him the ball and, and make sure that he thinks he's the closer at this point moving forward. And then if he can't handle it, then you go in a different direction. But you have to point towards someone and at least make that opportunity available to him. Yeah, I, I mean, over the last uh, maybe 10 or 12 years, it's amazing the number of teams that have won World Series with a closer in the postseason who did not begin the year in that role. And, you know, the first one that springs to mind locally, going back to 2013, is Koji Uehara who, uh, you know, was kind of a middle reliever afterthought when 2013 started. A number of other guys faltered in that role. Uh, they had, you know, all, all kinds of guys they were trying to run out there. Or they, uh, just, you know, number of different options. Um, and it, 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 it ultimately became Uihara, and he was about as automatic as you could get. But you could look to other other teams that have won championships. You know, Rosenthal with the Cardinals was not uh, the closer when that season began and yet helped pitch the Cardinals to uh, a World Series victory. There have been others. Um, but I think there's a difference between going into the postseason with a different guy than you imagined having at the start of the year and going into the postseason without a specific guy. I think you can get through a couple weeks of the season where you base things on matchups and availability. That seems harder to do when you get into the postseason. And when you think about it, it's, it's only been in recent times where guys are actually groomed to be a closer. I mean, it, it wasn't that long ago, really, when Tony La Russa kind of changed the way it was, uh, the way the closer's role was being handled when he put Eckersley out there and basically gave him the ball in the ninth inning. And that was it. And even then Eckersley at that point was a failed starter and was, you know, towards the, you know, reinvigorated his career uh, coming out of the pen. Um, plenty of guys 
were, you know, used to be starters, didn't get the job done, didn't know where to put them in the bullpen, weren't that successful, finally handed them the ball at the end of the game, and they became excellent closers. And, uh, you know, one of the things that you have to think about, too, is that, um, you know, there are some other options there, and that includes Adam Onovino, a guy who has a decent number of saves, uh, for the Red Sox this year and has occasionally stepped in when Barnes was unavailable um, or another option. He's somebody that uh, could be a, a potential weapon. Or um, Beyond that, uh, other than maybe trying someone like Richards who has some bullpen experience but not closer experience, it does seem that Barnes is the guy um, to, to turn to here, not only in the final weeks, but once they get back into uh, – or should they get into October and move beyond the wildcard game? Uh, a reminder that we're back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back on to start another football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, Bet Online continues to be the number one source. For everything football, head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. That's double your initial deposit just for signing up. Don't forget to use promo code NFL100. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online, your online sports experts. Uh, finally, Steve. Um, Let's uh, remember also that we don't yet know if the Red Sox make the postseason, who the wild card uh, opponent is going to be. It would seem, as we've talked about and looked at the numbers here with a week and a half to go, that it, it would probably be Toronto or the Yankees. Um, is, is one of those a more favorable matchup for you in your mind in a one-game uh, winner take all because I, I I think the Red Sox would be better off facing one of those teams. I want to hear which one you think. Um, you know, it, it's a great question, and I guess I would say that I'd like to see the Yankees because uh, a Yankee Red Sox matchup is always the best baseball you're going to find. It's the most intense baseball you're going to find. I know the rivalry isn't what it used to be, but it's still Yankees Red Sox, and to me. Uh, you know, we talked about them a lot. Uh, to me, they're the most flawed team out there. I mean, this, this, this is a team that can club you to death. There's no question about that. You can run into them with their swing in the bats and, and they're hot. They can be a very dangerous team. But to me, the Toronto Blue Jays are a much more dangerous team to have to worry about. So I would rather see the Yankees. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I, I think that um, uh, and what scares me most from a Toronto standpoint, if you're the Red Sox, would be having to face Robbie Ray in a winner-take-all game. Now, I know that the Yankees can throw Garrett Cole out there, depending on how they finish up and whether they have to use Cole in one of the final couple of games just to get a wild-card spot. But assuming whoever is going to be the opponent uh, can get their pitching in order, I would, I'd much rather face Cole than Ray in a one-game playoff. And even though there's a lot of right-handed power and we're assuming at this point that that game would be played at Fenway and you worry about Judge and Stanton and, and left field. You know, to me, 
Toronto is a more dangerous team offensively with Barrero and so much power up and down that lineup. I think there are guys in the Yankee lineup you can pitch to, uh, you know, whether it be Torres or Sanchez or guys that run hot and cold, including someone like Stanton. Uh, Toronto is a deeper team and a deeper lineup, and and they would uh, they would concern me more at this point were I the Red Sox. Yeah, I think absolutely. I mean, uh, the, the Yankees have you know they've 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 gotten better this season at not being necessarily a one dimensional ball club, but that's still who they've always been. You know, they're they're looking to hit the ball out of the yard. They're looking for three run homers, and and that's how they're going to club you to death at a, in a game. Whereas you know, Toronto can do that as well, but they also have decent team speed. They can, you know, they can run on you. They can, you know, they, they'll take a base hit. Uh, there's a lot of, it's a lot deeper lineup in Toronto than the Yankees have right now. So I don't know if you've heard, Steve, but apparently former NBA player Lamar Odom may be returning to professional basketball in Spain soon. Apparently he's going to play for Pau Gasol's team. He's been taking a new product that he owes the credit to, and that's Balance 7. Balance 7 is a pH balance in alkaline supplement drink. It's like vitamins or supplements in liquid form. Just one ounce a day, three times a day in a week. You'll see the effects. And Steve, uh, you know, we're talking about Lamar Odom trying to get back into a competitive situation. You get into your mid-30s, your late 30s. Uh, sometimes it helps to get a little help to be able to recover from workouts take care of wear and tear and get ready to play that next day. You know about that. Yeah. I mean, every athlete, even if you're not at the professional level anymore, or even if you never were, you're, you're looking for an edge and you get older, you're looking for a way to rebound a little bit better. And of course, everyone's looking for a legal way to do it. So, uh, you know, any help you can get to get you out of bed the next day is, is going to help you out. You can see how Balance 7 has helped Lamar Odom. And right now, if you go to balance7.com and use the promo code BLEAVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, you'll get $10 off their 32-ounce bottle. Now, that bottle is good for about 11 days, which is the perfect amount of time to feel the pH balancing drink go to work. Again, that's balance7.com and use the code Leave B L E A V at checkout. Our Odom did it worked for him, and it can work for you too. Uh, one last topic to 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 hit on here, Steve. We've talked about the preferred um, opponent, maybe in the wild card round for the Red Sox, if indeed they get there. And you and I both agree that for a number of reasons, the Red Sox would be better off with a one and done with the Yankees rather than the Blue Jays. Uh, if I ask you about preferred venue for that game, I think that one is even more clear cut. It, it would be imperative for the Red Sox to play that game at home where they are playing about 670 ball since Memorial Day weekend and are a much, much better offensive team at home than they are on the road. And it's about time, isn't it? I mean, we've gone through a number of seasons here lately where they hadn't really played all that well at home. And, you know, it used to be where you come into Fenway Park, you were you were looking at a tough time, you know, whether it was because they knew that park way better than you did as a visiting player or they just played better there or they took advantage of the left field wall, whatever it was they dominated at home. And it, it's glad I'm happy to see that they're doing that again. Yeah, they're a far better offense team. In fact, 
the difference in number in in games played at home and games played on the road is one. They've played exactly one more game on the road than they have. Uh, uh, oh, excuse me, the other way around. One more game at home than on the road, and yet they have scored exactly a hundred more runs at home than they have on the road. That that number jumps out at you and tells you how important and advantageous it would be to have that wild card game at home. Of course, if they were to move on to the division series and keep going to the LCS and world series, they would not as the wild card team have home field advantage again, but they may in the uh, first wild card round. And I think that would be pretty important. That's going to wrap up another episode, episode 21. In fact, of this is our effing podcast, a Red Sox show with your co-hosts, Sean McAdam and Steve Lyons. A reminder that our show is presented by Bet Online. Bet Online is where you can check out uh, all the offers that are there for the football season. Steve will be back next week with one week to go in the season. Perhaps the wild card picture will be a little clearer then, and we'll discuss what's ahead uh, as the Red Sox wind down the 2021 regular season. Thanks for joining us. We'll check in with you next week. Sounds great. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.